Psalm 135. Psalm 135. We'll be reading it in a few minutes. <clears throat> Got a question and I'm looking for a response from at least a few of you. Let's share some items that the Lord has done in history. What are some items the Lord has done in history? Let's run off two or three. Created the heavens and earth. Son is son. What did we just do? We praise God. What are some of the attributes of God? Two or three of the attributes of God. Faithfulness. Forgiving. Great all-knowing. What did we just do? Praise God. What are some items Christ did while on this earth? What are some items Christ did while on this earth? Serve. Serve. He prayed to God. He prayed to God. Healed people. Healed. Healed. Again, what did we just do? We praise God. Psalm 135, reading the entire psalm, which deals with, again, praise. Occasionally we'll take a psalm and look at it, then go back to other study. But this morning, Psalm 135, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord. You who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that the Lord is greater than all the gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in heaven, in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes cloud ri clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of men and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Siho and king of, king of the Amorites, O king of Bashan, and all the kings of Cana. And he gave their land as an inheritance an inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate the people, or his people, and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear nor is their breath in their mouth. Those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, praise the Lord. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. O house of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. 
This psalm was probably composed after the exile, after Israel returned from Babylon. The term or word Lord or its pronoun is used 35 times in this psalm. Lord means the independent, self-existing one. He needs no one or no thing to exist. And that comes from Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is saying, whom shall I say sent me? And he says, I am that I am. The I am is the one that is speaking here, Lord. The concept of covenant is very strong. In verse 4, for the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. In verse 14, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And then verse 21, praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem, the Lord, that being his dwelling place. This psalm may have been used in temple festivities, in worship, in verses 1 and 2, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Verses 19 and 20, O house of Israel, praise the Lord, and so on. May have been used at the <clears throat> Passover or Feast of Tabernacle, but a very, very strong emphasis on praise. It's very strong on praise the Lord. And Why? He gives reasons for praising the Lord. As you look at this psalm, you'll find that the psalmist begins with Israel's praise in verses 1 through 4. In verses 5 through 7, we find Yahweh's or the Lord's greatness as creator. In verses 8 through 14, we find Yahweh or the Lord's greatness in redemptive history, that is, the redemptive history of Israel in Egypt, in the conquest, in all the affairs. Then in verses 15 through 18, we find that the inability of idols is mentioned, and that parallels with Yahweh's greatness in verses 5 through 7. Yahweh, the Lord, is great. Idols stand in contrast to the Lord. They can't speak and so on. And then he wraps it up with Israel's praise, again in verses 19 through 21. Verse 1, praise. Verse 2, praise. Verse 3, praise. Verse 19, praise. Verse 20, praise. Verse 21, praise. Praise means or involves being sincere and deeply thankful for. Sincerely thankful for, deeply thankful for. It involves being satisfied in exalting a superior. Praise means to give thanks. Praise means to magnify. Praise means to hail, to acclaim, to boast, to brag in. Praise the Lord. The Lord, as I mentioned before, Yahweh the independent self-existing one. The psalmist is saying, praise the Lord, be thankful for, boast in, exalt in the Lord. 
How do you praise his, or how do you praise the name of the Lord? Verse 1, speak his name. Praise the name of the Lord. Meditate on his name. You who minister in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Speak his name, meditate on his name. And also, as you read the psalm, speak of the works that he has done. Sometimes we'll have a memorial service for someone who has passed on. And what will we do? We will speak of things that they have done. We're praising them. Here the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord. Speak his name. Meditate on his name. Speak of what he has done. Notice in verse 3 it says, praise the Lord. Why? For the Lord is good. The Lord is delightful. The Lord is precious. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is beautiful. He's good. Delightful. Precious. Righteous. Beautiful. Terms that describe good. Verse 3. Sing praise to his name for that is pleasant. It's lovely. It's sweet. It's charming. For Israel to praise the name of the Lord, to speak his name, to meditate on his name, that was good. It was delightful. And it is present. It is lovely. He says in verse 4, For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. There's a covenant involved there. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. When we get to Exodus 19, the children of Israel have left Egypt. They've been in the desert several months. And they're at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they receive what we call the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, and related laws. But in Exodus 19 and verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you in eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God made a covenant with Abraham. God is making a covenant with Israel in Exodus chapter 19. And when verse 4 says, the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his chosen, to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. It goes back to Abraham. It goes back to, to Exodus 19. He made a covenant with them. Not a contract, a covenant. The Mosaic law being conditional. The Abrahamic covenant being unconditional. And he, back to Psalm 135. Israel to be his treasured possession. And the idea there is personal property. So Israel praised the Lord. 
In verses 5 through 7, we find the greatness of the Lord mentioned. I know that the Lord is great. Great speaks of size. It speaks of importance. It speaks of being magnificent. It speaks of ruler over all. It speaks of unlimited authority. The Lord is great. He's greater than all the gods. A lot of gods in the world. A lot of gods in our country. The psalmist says, our Lord is greater than all gods. Notice in verse 6, the Lord does what pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and the seas and their depths. I wonder sometimes if the psalmist is thinking back of history, of heavens, when the floodgates of heaven opened and there was 40 days of rain. Was he thinking about the sun, the moon, and the stars? Was he thinking about thunderstorms? The Lord's greatness is evident in the heavens, on the earth. Was he thinking also of Genesis chapter 7 in relation to the flood, when the mountains were covered with water by more than 20 feet? When he says the Lord's greatness is seen in the seas in their depths. Was he thinking about the springs of the deep during the flood opening up and water coming from underneath? Was he thinking about the fish, the many thousands of fish and different creatures that live in the sea and the greatness of that? We find he goes on in verse 7, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings wind from his storehouses. He's great in the elements and the powers of nature. The ten plagues of Egypt, frogs, flies, gnats, hail, locusts, and so on. Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed with burning sulfur. Seven years of famine in Egypt. The children of Israel being fed manna in the desert. He sends lightning with rain. I don't know if you ever stood out during a thunderstorm and just looked at lightning. There's two times in my life where I think I was impressed very, very deeply with God and his greatness. One time we were flying into Santa Domingo. You could look out in the right and see a thunderstorm. You could look out in the left and see a thunderstorm. And descending into Santo Domingo... And I had to say to myself, my, what an awesome God we serve. Years ago when Danny and I were out in Yellowstone, we got to where we were staying one night and it started to rain and uh, all kinds of thunder and lightning and carrying on. And I said, Danny, let's go drive a little. So we got out in the open where we could see and just observe God's splendor, what he was doing in a storm. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. The Canaanites believed that the powers of nature and so on belonged to Baal. But the Lord, the psalmist is saying, the Lord is greater than all the gods. In verses 8 through 14, we find that 
the psalmist is speaking of Israel's redemptive history. What God has done in bringing Israel out of Egypt. He states, first of all, he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Men and of animals. And you recall we discussed the Passover a couple of weeks ago as we, were, as we were discussing Mark chapter 14. That because of the blood on the lintel of the door and on the doorpost, the death angel passed over Israel. But the firstborn in Egypt died. God was involved. Again, expressing his sovereignty over the Egyptian gods. He says his signs and wonders were in the midst of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants. Each of the plagues were tied in with the Egyptian gods. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. God at work. We find then he struck down nations in verse 10 and killed mighty kings and several kings are mentioned. But I would like for you to turn back to Joshua chapter 12 for just a moment. Joshua chapter 12. The psalmist is talking about praising God because of how God, the Lord, worked in dealing with kings. Look at Joshua 12. We're not going to read but a few verses. Joshua 12. In verses 2 through 5, he mentions some people that were defeated because of Moses and his leadership. Verse 7, these are the kings. Joshua 12 and verse 7 that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises towards Syria. And then he goes on, and notice in verses 9, 10, and so on, he lists king after king, 31 in all. And again, we're not going to read the passage, but just want you to see that when the psalmist says, We're praising God for what he has done, defeating kings. He's talking about what God did in their history. Verse 12, he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people. And then in verse 13 and 14, your name, O Lord, endures forever. You're renowned, O Lord, through all generations looks at Israel's redemptive history. To this point in the psalm, the psalmist has shown the greatness of the Lord in creation, in idols, in nations, and kings. Now the psalmist describes the idols making a contrast between himself and the idols. The Lord has been described. He's worthy of praise. What does the psalmist say? The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. Idols are made from what the Lord has created. And they're made by the hands of men. Now think about that phrase. They're made by the hands of men. Idols are made to worship 
but they're made by humans. A human makes an idol and then will bow down to an idol that he made. How can an idol be an object of worship if it's what some human has made? Obviously, it is below the maker, the one who made the idol, because it was made by someone. He goes on to describe idols. He says, the idols of the nations have mouths, but cannot speak. Think about the idols of the world. Think about the idols in our nation. Images, idols of various kinds. Mouse, but cannot speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. Remember Jesus looking at Peter after he denied him? An idol could not have done that. They have ears, but cannot hear. Remember Elijah on the mountain? Challenging the prophets of Baal, and they are crying all day. And Elijah kind of taunted them some and said, Well, maybe your gods or your God are, are sleeping. And Elijah prayed, and God responded, Ears but cannot hear. There's no breath in their mouth. Then he makes an interesting statement Those who make them will be like them. Israel, when they began to follow some idols, became like their idols. And so will all who trust in them. Those who trust in idols become like them. Again, look at Israel's history. A marked change when they started to follow idols. And I would pose a question, and I'm not looking for an answer to this one. What idols do we follow today? What idols do we follow today in our country? I found it interesting that as I read about our history and I read about modern technology that God has blessed us with, how in history and how people who come up with things that become idols, how they become like them even today. Be a good study sometime just to talk about modern day idols, but we're not going there this morning. But he says, those who trust in them will become like them. The psalmist begins with praise, gives reasons for praise. In conclusion, he again exhorts praise. He exhorts being satisfied and lauding a superior. Give thanks, magnify the Lord. Hail him, acclaim him, brag about him, boast in him. And who is to boast? House of Israel? House of Aaron? House of Levi? You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from Zion to him who dwells in Jerusalem. And again, God's dwelling being in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. If we as people today 
as Israel was to get a handle on praising the Lord, it goes a long way in life. When we praise the Lord, it gets our eyes off of our circumstances, off of people and all that is going on, and it focuses on the Lord. So a couple applications. I would encourage us to know the Lord, his names, his attributes, his works, what he's done in creation, the history of Israel. Just know the Lord. Who is he? He's the Lord. He's Jehovah. He's Yahweh. He's El Shaddai. He's powerful to nourish, satisfy, and supply. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. He's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and so on. Know the Lord. What has he done in history? He created the universe with his spoken word. There was a worldwide flood. He called Abraham. Just rehearse history. What he has done. This is a dare. I dare you to take 10 minutes every morning to rehearse the names of God, the attributes of God and works that he has done. You say, I don't know them all. We'll start accumulating a list. We list things in the bulletin along the way. Or just take your Bible. Just take 10 minutes to rehearse them. Maybe in your way to work or while you're riding the bus to school or you're doing the dishes or whatever. But another application, don't only know the Lord, know Christ. His names, his attributes, his works, what he has done, what he has done on this earth. Rehearse the fact that Christ is the Lamb of God. He is light. He is life. He is creator. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. Recite, go over the fact that he healed a blind man. He raised the dead. And so on. Just rehearse. What is all of that? Praise. Praise to the Lord. Meditate much upon the Lord's work and creation. The sun, the moon, the stars. Some night go out when it's clear and just look at the stars. Start to name them or count them. You can't. But praising God. Meditate much upon the Lord's work in Israel's history. A lot of the Old Testament contains God's work in Israel in their life in history. In light of the above, remember we become what we trust in, depend upon. Don't spend so much time dwelling on who's going to be the next president or the political climate in America or what's happening in the world. Spend much more time Naming God's names, his attributes, thinking about Christ, thinking about what he has done in history. And that changes our perspective. We'll spend hours sometimes in a week thinking about the news and world events. How about hours just reflecting on God, Christ, and what they have done, and their names and their attributes and what they have done in history. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Another possible application. With whom... Or what or whom do you spend time when you're not at work or at school? With what or whom do you spend time when you're not at work or school? We don't always, always have a choice at school. We don't always have a choice at work. 
But other times we have a lot of freedom in where we spend our time. Where's our mind? We're becoming what we think, what we feed our minds. Now, what are our idols? What controls us? Are we known for our praise of the Lord and Christ as a local church? So are people in this community or other churches in the area saying, oh yeah, there's Roaring Brook. They know how to praise the Lord. They meditate on God's name. They speak God's name. They speak his works. They speak his attributes. There are people of praise to the Lord. Israel, praise the Lord. Believers today, praise the Lord. Know the Lord, Christ, and their work in our church, your family, and your life. I think it does good for us as individuals sometimes to say, how did God work in my history? How did God work in my history? I was talking to a prophet Baptist Bible Seminary a couple of weeks ago, and we got talking a little, and he was sharing some struggles he'd been through, and I shared some I'd been through. And I said, I can really praise the Lord. I'm thankful for God's work in my life through physical problems that began some 35 years ago. And he just kind of looked at me, and he said, I'm not there yet. I see that as God working. God brought a wonderful woman into my life. And through the ups and downs of our years together, God has worked. How about family? You look back and see how God worked in your family in some way, shape, or form. We as a church looking back and seeing how God has worked in our church. Rehearsing what God has done. That's what the psalmist does with Israel in their history. Individually, family, and as a body, being willing to rehearse what God has done. Praise the Lord. We don't always feel like praising the Lord. Let's work at praising the Lord anyway. As Travis comes, we're going to sing hymn seven, Great is the Lord, and then we'll sing another song. But think about these songs in the context of praise. Praise.